wonder if we could turn again in our Bibles to the second epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians. And we're reading from chapter 2 this time. Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning our reading at verse 1. A few weeks ago we looked at parts of chapter 1 but we're turning over to chapter 2 today. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. Now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the uh, Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming." Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have being taught whether by word or uh, by or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing again through the reading of his precious word. Can we unite? at the throne of grace in prayer for a wee minute. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to thee in our Saviour's precious name. We thank thee for the truth of God's word, and we thank thee for its establishment. We thank thee that what it says comes to pass and is coming to pass, even as we speak. And our God, we thank thee today that we have still a God is in control of all things. So, Lord, come and meet with us. Bless us as we consider thy truth today. 
For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, the passage before us deals with the end times and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we go into that, I I think we need to get the background sorted out here because there are various opinions about what we're dealing with here because there's a problem. There's a problem. If you look at verses 1 and 2, you'll see that the Thessalonians have a problem. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So here is the problem. These people had been troubled and shaken about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what were they troubled about? This is the thing. There are those that would believe in the two-stage coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would contend that Paul was addressing false preachers here, false teachers who were saying that the secret rapture had already come and that they had missed out and that the day of wrath, which they would define as um, a time period rather than a day, that they were in the day of wrath and they had missed out on the rapture, and this is the false teaching, this is what was wrong, and so Paul is setting out to tell them that the day of the Lord will not come until certain things take place. Now, there are a number of major problems with that contention, that it is the secret rapture that Paul, uh, that they were saying uh, had already come. The first is that if the Thessalonians thought that they had missed the rapture and were in the day of the Lord, surely Paul would have said um, straightforwardly, you haven't missed the rapture. You haven't missed that day when you were caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Surely that he would have straightforwardly told them that, if that was the problem. That's problem number one. The second is that if these Thessalonians had missed the rapture, then Paul had missed the rapture, and Silas had missed the rapture, and the apostles had all missed the rapture. So if they were believing that the rapture had come, then all of the all of the major apostles had also missed the rapture. And that was a, that's a big problem. Surely that could not have, surely they would have said to themselves, well, if the rapture's come, the like of Paul and Peter and John and all of these men, Silas, Timothy, surely they would not be among us anymore. Then there's another problem mentioned by a man called the name Robert Culver, and that is the thought that if they had been left behind in the rapture, then, or uh, G.K. Beale is the man in his commentary, and he points out the fact that uh, those who hold to a pre-tribulation rapture, in other words, that the saints will be taken out of the world um, before the time of the tribulation, um, the word that they use for that is the parousia. It's a Greek word. But if you look at verse 8 of this chapter, 
The word parousia is also used, uh, it refers to the second coming after the tribulation. So that's another problem that they have because they, they try to divide between the advent and the parousia. But here, it's obvious that the parousia takes place after the tribulation of those days. So there are a number of major problems with this view that what was being taught in Thessalonica was that the rapture had happened and that they had missed out on the rapture. So what was, what was the problem? Well, all we have to do is take what the Bible says at its face value. And you can see what the problem very simply is. There were those that were teaching that the Lord was at hand, that the coming of the Lord was just around the corner. And there were many in Thessalonica, because of that, had given up their work. And there were those that were telling them, you don't need to work. You, you don't need it because the Lord's coming. What's the point of working and trying to provide for yourself? All you need to do is prepare for the Lord. And so what the apostle is trying to set out here is that the coming of the Lord is not just at hand. There are certain things that need to take place before the coming of the Lord. There are signs that take place before the coming of the Lord. He says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there are things that are going to take place before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he uses the word, let no man deceive you. He accuses these false teachers of being deceivers. He doesn't want them to misunderstand. And he tells them, I've told you these things. He doesn't say they told them about a secret rapture, because he didn't. He didn't tell them about a secret rapture. But what he did tell them about was that the Lord was coming again. And he told them about these things. And many times through the Thessalonian epistles, we find that he mentions the fact that he had told them about all of these things, that they were familiar with these things. And we said before that God's people ought to be familiar with these things. So this is the problem that he's dealing with. These people who had come in and were saying, the Lord's coming, you don't need to work, you, need, you don't need to do anything because the Lord's coming. That happened again way back in the 1800s. Um, in the, when the, what is now the Seventh-day Adventists were set up, and there were those that um, left their work and went onto the mountains and wore white, expecting the Lord to come on the day that had been predicted, and the Lord didn't come on the day. They left their work. And Paul is, is, is teaching against that. But what does then happen before the Lord comes? What are these signs that Paul gives us? Well, I want us to see them today for a few minutes because it's important that we get these things in our minds. The first thing he says is that there's going to be an apostasy. Look at verse 3. He says, before the Lord comes, there will be an apostasy. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come 
except there come a falling away first. And the word falling away in the Greek is apostia, which is the word that we get our word apostasy from. It refers to falling away, a departure from the faith, a defection, a falling away. Now I've seen some people who um, are so intent on teaching the secret rapture in this portion of Scripture that they say that the word departure refers to the departure of the saints when they're taken up in the rapture. But that's not what is uh, referred to here. It speaks about a revolt, about a rebellion. If you're apostate, you've revolted against the truth. Maybe it's something that you formerly professed, and now you've turned against it. Someone who is a believer who turns away and rebels and defects from the truth. And Paul says that before the end times, there will be an apostasy. Now you say to me, and I would agree with you, that there have always been people who have fallen away. In every generation that has been formed, there has been some kind of apostasy. There have been false professors, and there have been false prophets. And you can see it here even in these earlier epistles. He speaks, he's warning about the false teachers, those that came into the church and professed to be true teachers of the thing, uh, of the word of God, and then began to pervert the truth. And teach their own things. So this has always been in the church. We think of the Reformation. And before the Reformation the church had become corrupt. By all sorts of money making schemes. And all sorts of get rich schemes among the church. And there had been a complete corruption of the church. And there was a great apostasy. But I want you to see something that is not in the English that you would get in the Greek. If you were reading this in the Greek, you would find that they, it speaks of the apostasy. It says um, that, uh, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come the apostasy. Now, that's not in our English version, but it gives us to understand that this is the apostasy. There have been many fallings away. There have been many defections from the truth, but this really is the definitive event. And when we look at the scriptures, we think about this great apostasy. Every age has its defectors, but this is something different. This is far more widespread, greater. My, it's going to be an awful departure from the, the faith. And if we're to contend that um, what Paul is referring, that's what Paul is referring to here in the portion of Scripture, then it would be helpful to us to find other portions of Scripture that say the same. We said that there are those that are saying that the departure here is people being lifted off the earth. So, will there be, will there be an apostasy? Well, turn over to Matthew chapter 24. And what Paul is saying here is really based on Matthew chapter 24, which is the Lord's Olivet Discourse. And you will see in verses 10 to 14 here, he says, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. 
So in these last days, how does it start off? People who are professors being offended. Being offended. And then it says that they shall betray one another. They will, um, as it were, depart from one another and hate one another. And then it says, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And he says here that there will be um, this waxing cold of the love of many. And he says, iniquity shall abound. It'll abound. And it'll, there'll be an abundance of, it won't be just here and there. It'll be everywhere. It'll become pervasive in the church of God. There, the love of many will wax cold. People will get offended with one another. And they begin to fall out with one another. There will be these false deceivers. And he says, this is the picture that you get of the end times. Turn over to 1 Timothy and look at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. And again, we get the same picture of the end times. He says in um, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from means which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be refused with thanksgiving. So, here, what, here, they're giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, um, giving way to lies, forbidding to marry, forbidding to eat meat. We're getting some of that in, in these days. It says that men shall be lovers of their own selves. And really that sets the theme. It is self-indulgence. Really it's self-centeredness. All of this is the fruit of egotism here. Well, why do you love money? Because of what you can buy for yourself. What do you boast of? Yourself. What are you proud about? Your own accomplishments. Why do you disobey your parents? Because you think that you deserve more. Why are you a traitor? Because you always think that your um, agenda is the best agenda. And you, why would you place your interests above your friends? Because you are the top of the pile. It's all about self-interest. And the Bible warns again and again about this apostasy that will take place. And we see that there will be this apostasy that will arise. So we don't need to be taken, taken uh, by surprise by this. We, we should not be in any way discouraged by this. This is what the Bible says. And as we look at evangelicalism today, it seems to be in free fall. Over the last couple of decades, in the last 25 years, we have witnessed the greatest change in the evangelical church. And we can see the um, charismatic and the self-centeredness coming in. You have the teachers uh, that teach about your best life now. 
or those teachers who tell you 10 ways that you can be more positive and about um, positive uh, self-assertion, all of these things. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible's not about you. We have come to worship God. Now, God will change us from glory into glory into the image of Christ, but it's not about our center is not on us. It's upon the Lord. And when in this me generation, we've got a new religion that is centered on me, we need to see that that's a turning away from the things of God. This self-focus that you get in large parts of the church today. There is an apostasy. But secondly, I want you to see there is an antichrist. Look at um, verses 3 and 4 of the portion of Scripture. He says there in verses 3 and 4, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now every coup requires a, a leader, and the global apostasy will focus upon this individual, this man who is the Antichrist. Now look at his name. He has a couple of names in the portion of Scripture. First of all, he is called the man of sin. And the word sin is a translation of a word that means lawlessness. He's the man of lawlessness. And we would call him the man of lawlessness. Why? Because he feels that God's law does not apply to him. He feels that the law against adultery, the laws against fornication... And the laws of lying and the laws of cheating and the laws, all of these laws. He's a man of lawlessness because he wants to overturn God's law. He wants to overturn the things of God. He will not regard the law of God. He will think that the law does not apply to him. We have leaders today, it seems as if they don't feel as if the law applies to them. Well, in a much greater degree, you'll have a man like this, who is a man of lawlessness. A man who wants not to regard any law, does his own thing. And then there's another name here. He is the son of perdition, or the son of destruction. It means, really, that he's doomed. He is doomed to be destroyed. The word perdition there really refers to destruction. Now, Not only was this man called the son of perdition, but you'll remember that Judas was also called the son of perdition. So there are two evil individuals in the Bible who are called the son of perdition. And uh, we think of Judas who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and this man who wants to sit in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the second son of perdition and he will appear and he will be One who is doomed to perdition. He's a man of lawlessness. A man that the world will greet. And the world will laud for a long time. But he is a man of lawlessness. A son of lawlessness. And the son of perdition. We see his name. But then I want you to see the nature of this man. Look at what Paul says about him here. 
in Second Timothy, or Second Thessalonians, rather. He says, he describes his humanity. He is a man of sin. He is the son of perdition. And that is important to see. He is not some kind of supernatural being. Although he will be able to do uh, the um, prophets and so on, they will be able to, uh, the um, false prophets, they will be able to do signs and wonders. And the world, world will wonder after them. But he is a man. He's not a demon. He's a man. You think of the title of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man. This is Satan's false Messiah. He's the, son, he's the man of sin. He's the son of perdition. And all that the devil does is that he tries to copy uh, the Lord. But this is an ordinary man. The son of perdition is a created being, a created entity, whom the Lord, the Bible says, shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we see his humanity. But also, you notice his haughtiness. He's called somebody that exalts himself. He will be a braggart. He will be proud. He will be full of self-confidence. There'll be no shortage of uh, pride and uh, self-assertion in this man. He will be so proud that he believes that he can take the place of God. Of course, people tend to like someone that has a little bit of self-confidence about them. And that's part of the attraction that he'll have. Something else about him, look at his head. I mean, the head over him. You'll notice that he's motivated by Satan. Look at verse 9 of Second Thessalonians 2. It says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So there's the signs and the lying wonders, energized, uh, given the authority by the devil. So this is not an individual to take for granted. Here is a man who's been energized by the devil himself. We think of the man of sorrows, but here's the man of sin. Satan is the imitator of God, as we've said. And this is Satan's great exponent. He'll put everything into this man. He will back this man to the hilt. He will want this man to succeed because this man will be energized by the very forces of hell itself. And then you'll see that you not only see his humanity and his haughtiness and his head, but look that he is honored. Look, it says the people will wonder after him and they will say who is like unto the beast. If you turn over to Revelation 13, and you look at verse 4, it says of the people, Revelation chapter 13, and if you look at verse 4, it says, And they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. Now, that, the dragon is the devil. And again, the, dra the dragon, the devil, gives power to the beast. That's what we have just learned from the epistle there in Second Thessalonians. And it says, and they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. So they worshipped the devil. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? They think he's impregnable. They think that nobody can bring him down. And people will honour that and they will 
uh, run after that with all the signs and wonders that the devil is able to give this man. And here we think of the majesty of Satan. He's able to place this man in the place of power. And uh, Satan has that certain amount of authority, as it were, that he's claimed as he seeks to usurp it from God. But we think of how God will bring all of this down. The Bible says in Daniel eleven twenty one that this individual will come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. But then his true self will begin to be revealed. Look at verses 9 and 10 of the chapter again. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, deceit and politics in them that perish because they received not the truth, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So here are the fools that follow after this Antichrist. And we can see how that will happen. We cannot understand in this day how such a thing quite readily could take place. People have turned away so suddenly. Their their minds have been captured. They have been uh, they've been swallowing the propaganda that has been put in. And here's this man who will come with all signs, lying wonders, and the people will wonder off the beast. They'll say, who is like unto the beast? And they will honor him, and they will worship him, and worship the devil that has um, given him the power. But that's not the end of the story here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Not only is there an apostasy, and not only is there an antichrist, but there is an advent. Look at verse 7 and 8. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of, of his coming. And the Lord is coming again. And he will bring all of this to an end. In verse 11 we are told, And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Because of the turning away, because of this iniquity, God sends in a strong delusion. Now, what is the strong delusion? That they believe a lie. That they begin to believe things that are patently not true. They begin to believe things that common sense and sight and rationality would tell you are not true. They begin to believe a lie. And God, it says, sends them the strong delusion. Today we have people, doctors, psychologists, who can't define what a woman is. Can't tell you what a woman is. Some of them will say, well, a woman is um, somebody who identifies as a woman. What are they identifying as? They're identifying as a woman. What's a woman? They can't tell you. They can't tell you what is plain, what everybody from the beginning of time, what a child, the youngest child can tell you. They can't tell you. Strong delusion. 
strong delusion. And I want you to see that, first of all, the Lord restrains. Before the strong delusion, there is a restraint on this mystery of iniquity. It says that he who letteth shall let until he be taken out of the way. Now, the, the word letteth there in the text is one of those words, and um, there's a few words like this, that have completely changed their meaning since the authorized version was translated. Today, if you let somebody do something, you sort of allow them to do that. You facilitate them in doing that. In the days of the authorized version, the word let meant, meant ob- almost the op- exact opposite. It meant to restrain, to detain. So we could read the verse to say, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Now there are a couple of things there. The first is, the mystery of iniquity already was working in Paul's day. The word iniquity there is the sense of lawlessness. This Lawless spirit, this anti-Christian spirit, was already at work in the days of the Apostle Paul. So it has continued through right unto this day. There is that spirit of apostasy and spirit of antichrist that is in the world. It is increasing. It is growing in influence year by year, day by day. Now, at times, there has been a drawing back when the Reformation came in. Sometimes in local places, there have been a revival. That's God's restraint. It says that God restrains this mystery of iniquity. That's what's happening today. God is restraining the spirit of Antichrist, this anti-Christianity. It hasn't got a hold up until now. I don't know if in the next few years it will get a hold or it is getting hold now or that God in his mercy will send a a revival. But God has been restraining this right down through the years. And that's the reason why this spirit, why the devil, as it were, he is restrained. He's, as it were, held back from the fullness of, but when this Antichrist will come, it says, he that letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now there's a debate about who, what it is that's taken out of the way. Some people will say it's the Holy Spirit that's taken out of the way. But whatever, whatever it is that's restraining this, it's taken out of the way, and then the wicked is revealed. Unrestrained. Unrestrained evil. And we think of that in the, in the world in which we live. But not only will God restrain, but God, then God will raise R-A-Z-E. Look at what it says. The one who's described as the wicked, and then he describes whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the Lord will destroy this lawless one, this lawlessness, with the breath of his mouth. The Bible says that Our God is a consuming fire. By the blast of God they'll perish. And by the breath of his nostrils they will be consumed. And we recognize that while God has predicted all of these things, that God has a plan and a purpose that is playing out. That God is still on his throne. 
He is the one in whom, of whom it is said in Daniel 2 and 21 that he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And we need to recognize, no matter how dark it gets, and no matter how dull the day may be and how much apostasy and why we might be the only ones that are left in our community. We, we might have a church of one person. But we need to recognize that our God is still on the throne. He's never going to win. The devil is never going to win. And we need to bow before the Lord today and recognize the wonder of his love and mercy to our souls and that he is strong today, mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Oh, that we might be able to stand in this day. We recognize that there is an apostasy, a deepening apostasy. And we need uh, in these days uh, to look to the Lord. We, we, we just prostrate ourselves at his feet. Look for his deliverance in the midst of all of this. We're glad that we trust in a God who's in control. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a wee word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word today. We thank, Lord, of these Thessalonians. And, Lord, there were those who were coming uh, to pervert them, as it were, with false teaching. Uh, and they were expecting the day of the Lord before anything else. But, Lord, we recognize that day will not come except there come a falling away first. We recognize that there is a falling away. But Lord, we recognize too that thy word speaks about the apostasy. Though God, we pray that we might be willing to stand in that day. Lord, we realize that the pressures will be great. We recognize that the propaganda will be uh, almost irresistible. But oh God, we pray that thou wast enable us to stand, having done all to stand. Bless thy word, write it upon our hearts, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Last the boys and girls, please, I'll go out there and you can come up and see our brother Glenn.